Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Welcome to another edition of Nosebleeds WFUV's Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Davis, here with my fellow Mets beat reporter, Dylan Balsamo, and Jack Roach will be joining us here as well. We are back after the All-Star break and into the I guess unofficial second half of the season, although we've already played uh, the, the number of games to be the, the official halfway point, but the trade deadline is coming up in a week or so. Uh, Dylan, I know it was a disappointing weekend for the Mets, of course, losing two out of three uh, to the Pirates, but other put that aside, I want to see how you doing, how you doing today. That aside, it's still been pretty rough, but I'm I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but oh, it's well, it's 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 wonderful to get to get to talk to you too. I always look forward to being on Nosebleeds uh, on Mondays when I'm fortunate to have a chance to do so. But uh, I'm I'm doing just fine. Well, and it's kind of the same thing with Jack here. I mean, the Red Sox, being the Red Sox fan that you are, kind of a tough weekend for you. We just talked about it before starting here, but how are you doing? Yeah, I'm in the same situation as Dylan. You know, my team dropped two of three, but you know, I'm not ready to to completely give up on them yet. I I, I think we're we're gonna be all right. So I'm doing all right. I'm ready for a brand new series, brand new week, going up against the Blue Jays. So you know, on to the next one. As much as I would love to sit and talk Boston Red Sox baseball with you, <laughs> this is a New York program, so we have to get, of course, uh, to the New York Yankees. But we'll start with that series. There, we'll start with the Yankees. Uh, who kind of, I guess, surprisingly took two out of three from the Red Sox this weekend. Um, they hadn't defeated the Red Sox at all coming into this series. Um, and they did so without a lot of their key players. Aaron Judge, um, obviously on the COVID list. Gio Urshela, another guy on the COVID list. Luke Voigt's hurt. Clint Frazier's hurt right now. And the list kind of just keeps going. And then even replacement outfielders like LeCastro and uh, Ambergy, I think is how you say it, um, going down this weekend as well in the outfield. So uh, the Yankees did it this weekend. They won two out of three, despite all of those injuries that I just talked about or guys being out of the lineup. So uh, I'm going to ask you to remove that Red Sox bias, Jack, here. Um, and I want you to look at this series. And what do you take away from the Yankees' standpoint this weekend? Well, I feel like so many times in this somewhat disappointing, very disappointing Yankees season, there have been these instances where the Yankees feel really close to rounding a corner and then something terrible happens. Guy gets injured or they, they have a terrible loss. And I think you can look at that Astros, you know, series right before the all-star break, you know, as one of those situations, you win two games against them, one of the best teams in the league. And then you have a horrible game three that just, you know, deflates all confidence in the team. And I think that you can look at this series as something similar to that without, you know, that that bad thing happening. I think they might be close to, you know, potentially rounding a corner because you go up against your division rival. You know, this is one of the best rivalry in sports. And, you know, with all odds against you, everyone either injured or on the COVID IL and 
you know, you take two, three games with, you know, I, I read an article this morning, will the Yankees be able to replace Amber Gee? And, uh, I, I, uh, you know, I think between the three of us, we got to figure out how to pronounce the guy's name before we yeah. figure out. Not play. a headline we expected to see <laughs> so, going into the year. <laughs> you know, if I'm a Yankees fan, I'm, I'm confident in the results this weekend. And, um, you know, I think some of these new faces almost remind you a little bit of the core that, that they brought up, you know, when they're dealing with injuries a few years ago, you've got guys like Jew or Shella coming in. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the Yankees are, somewhat getting into a good place, you know, so we'll see how, how things go from here. Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the Astros series before this, Jack, and just, you know, coming out of the, coming into the break, I might say, um, you know, the Yankees won five of their last seven games. They looked at a good place. They had a good series against the Mariners, but they just kept dropping the third game of the series. Uh, so they, they couldn't win a series, but they won those last two. And of course, last game against the Mets before that. So, you know, it, it looked like things were good for them. So, you know, to me, it, you from that perspective, it wouldn't be incredibly surprising that they were able to have a successful series against the Red Sox. This just seems to be a momentum shift in their favor. Um, COVID stuff, not great for their momentum. Um, you know, a, a lot of guys you'd love to uh, you'd love to have Aaron Judge chief among them in your lineup uh, and not lose them for COVID reasons but you know that's just the reality of things and I think when your team is when your team is in the right place mentally um, you can overcome those obstacles and still win a series Uh, and to me that seems to be what the Yankees were able to do this weekend you know they got a you know good performance on Sunday by Garrett Cole Um, the offense showed up on Sunday also like they were able to they're able to overcome these things because their identity as a team seems to finally be taking shape here early in the season on July the 19th. Yeah. The, the pitching, I like that you mentioned that because that was basically tremendous this weekend and they've been very good lately. And in this stretch where they've started to win series, like we've talked about, maybe not sweep and maybe teams they should have swept like the Mariners. And then again, they should have won against Houston uh, right before the break, but to win two out of three here, it shows a couple of things. To me, it shows that maybe this Yankees team is finally starting to show some consistency, which they've lacked all year. And like I've, t- I've talked about this many times on this very podcast, how the Yankees don't need to go out and win and make up their eight game deficit in one night. You know, it, it's a long process. They dug themselves in a very deep hole. And for them to get out of it, they have to get momentum and they have to win series consistently and and three in a row is very good and we don't want to overreact because we've done it before where we've seen the Yankees win series and then all of a sudden they take a step backwards kind of like Jack was talking about but for me with the 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 talent that they did it with this weekend is why I'm I'm a lot more optimistic I could I would say with them and I think some of those guys like Greg Allen for example in the outfield and Ryan Lamar out there as well um those guys just brought a, a certain young or I guess bench energy that maybe this team needed. Maybe it's something that can, they can kind of use as a source of momentum um, instead of the same old guys every night, kind of just taking one step forward and two steps back. So maybe just this is a sign. And, and I think it's a really important stretch of coming here going forward to keep this going, to continue to win series and continue to build on that consistency that way when Judge and Urshela come back 
and even like Luke Voigt comes back and, and some of the other players from the COVID list as well. Um, once those guys come back in the starters, they can feed off that momentum that these bench players like Greg Allen and, and like Lamar and like Ambergie even um, have brought. And, and that's really an interesting thing. It, it reminds me, it's not quite the same because it's only one series and the Mets did it for like a month, but the replace Mets, they kind of did that similar thing. They, they, they actually built momentum for their team with bench players, with guys that just had a different energy coming off the bench, wanting to play every day. Maybe that energy for the next couple series can translate into when these starters get back. And all of a sudden, if you might look up and see them winning, you know, two more series and, and all of a sudden maybe that division is getting a little closer and maybe come the deadline, they're looking to, you know, be an active buyer instead of a couple of weeks ago, we thought maybe they would even be a seller at the deadline. Yeah. I mean, we're over 90 games into this season, but it's easy to forget that we haven't even played half of the, the Red Sox Yankees games. There's still yeah. 10 more of, yeah. of the 19 game slate. So you know, they are seven games back right now, but between the, the Red Sox and the Rays and just those AL East uh, rivals, there's there's a lot of baseball and a lot of games to be made up. You know, you're absolutely right, Jack. I hadn't even thought too much about that, but they have played so much outside of their division. And, you know, those are not games you typically have to win. They're games you should win. But, you know, the games you got to win are, are, are the Boston games and the Tampa Bay games and, and the Toronto games. Games typically that could honestly sometimes give uh, the Yankees trouble. But these are the games that are necessary in order to really make ground in the division. And the Yankees are still to play those games. So that's a very good sign. Uh, and you know what's interesting is you, people did talk a couple weeks ago about the Yankees being a seller. And I, I, I didn't really buy into that for a handful of reasons. One, I just didn't. I just had more faith in what they were going to be able to do this season. And also, with the kind of money the Yankees throw around, who the hell are they selling? Like, who the hell is going to want to pick up one of those contracts? It just, it just didn't make any sense to me. Um, the Yankees are not in a place to sell. It just, it just doesn't make any sense. They are too good. They have too much talent for it to not come through. I know we've been saying this since May, but it's, it's the reality of things. And you know, so they've won three series in a row now. So there is an opportunity to continue to build momentum. And I have all the faith in the world they're going to keep doing that. Yeah, and you got the Rays and Red Sox upcoming, you know, uh, to end out the month for the for the Yankees as well, with I think the Phillies mixed in there and maybe another team as well. So those are really important series. And those series are coming very quickly. You know, we have next weekend, uh, the, the Yankees go to Fenway Park and we'll play the Red Sox again. That's another huge series, and that'll be a series. I'm not sure what the timeline will be, but I assume some of that might be without Aaron Judge. Some of that might be without Urshela, depending on how long uh, COVID keeps them away from the team. So those are really important series, uh, important series for these young guys, these, these new kind of uh, outfielders to, to step up and play an important role for this team, which they would have never expected to be playing. So but I, I agree with you, Dylan. I, I didn't see them quite as sellers at the deadline. I think is in, they are in an interesting position, though, because I don't think – I really do think if you're not going to be a seller, which they shouldn't be, they really should be an active buyer, and I think they kind of need to be at this point. And, and it's more than just one piece. I really do think there are a couple pieces away from really – I maybe not making a run at the division, but at least making a run at the wild card because – 
The pitching is still concerning, although they are pitching really well right now. Tyone's been great lately. Montgomery's been good. And then Garrett Cole is returning to his normal self. But you still worry because Kluber and Severino are, are, are big question marks. Whether they do come back and pitch, who knows how effective they're going to be. And then you look at the outfield right now, and we talked about Lamar, uh, Ambergie, and, and Greg Allen starting on Sunday Night Baseball. There's obviously an issue there, and I know they have uh, players on the COVID list and injuries right now, but you need an outfielder. Since Aaron Hicks went down, who actually was terrible offensively before he went down, you really need a good bat in the outfield. So I really think the Yankees are two pieces. Uh, maybe maybe they can make on, go on a run and continue this momentum without those pieces because the deadline's not until the 31st, but if they are true into this going after a wild card or – maybe going after the division, although that might seem a little out of reach. I think they, they really are two pieces away, which uh, is a lot, but it certainly is possible. And for the Yankees and the, the pockets they have and the farm system that they can give away, I think certainly that's within reach. I mean, I, I agree with you that they're two pieces away. Or, you know, they, they at least need to be somewhat active, but they need depth in that rotation, and it's really tough to get that at the deadline. I know there are guys like Kyle Gibson or the Rangers getting tossed around, but you usually have to give up a pretty, you know, you have to give up some some good prospects to get a frontline yeah. starter. And it's only a more. rental, too, you know? It's not exactly. like you're getting a guy for multiple years. I guess Barry, Barrios from the Twins, that's the only other guy that's really like more of a – I think he has an extra year of control, but even that, that's – that's a year and a half really. And you're giving up some good prospects for it. Yeah. And I definitely see them, you know, maybe being active on a guy like Starling Marte. I know he's getting tossed around a lot, another one year rental, but you know, with a player like that, you're, you're probably not going to have to give up those same assets when there's so few arms on the market right now. So I definitely see them picking up a hitter, but it's just tough to acquire those pitchers. If you're not so confident in, you know, your team making a deep run, um, and, you know, potentially costing the future, you know, to, to afford a guy like that. So it'll definitely be interesting to see what the Yankees do at the deadline. Dylan was muted momentarily. You can't see that, but I'm, I'm going to commentate briefly. Yeah, we really, I figured that was just going to be edited out of the podcast. Now I can't. So thanks, Sam. I appreciate that. Uh, but, uh, moving right along here. I think what's really a, a difficult thing for the Yankees is it, it's another um, it's another mental block in trading for them is that you know you are going to have to give up some some real um, something of, of true value and substance, not just a hypothetical substance when you make a trade because you know in terms of, of the Yankees they they have run their farm system dry in in recent years just trying to build the team that they have right now. Uh, so that means if you're going to want to get an arm like a Barrios or something like that, or a Marte, uh, you know, obviously there's going to be a big asking price. And unfortunately that's going to be a couple of, um, borderline starting major league players, I think. So that is going to be the real issue. I think for the Yankees is, um, it, it it's going to be a couple of guys who are, you're, it's a real struggle to have to let go of them. But the question is who, not when. So we're going to transition here uh, to the Mets. Of course, it's been interesting because the storyline all season going into the year has been 
the Yankees are underperforming and the Mets are in first place despite all their injuries. And this week, at least, and I'm not saying going forward, but I'm saying just this week, the narrative is kind of flipped because the Yankees are playing well with their injuries or their COVID related issues. And the Mets first place is still there. You know, it's a two game lead right now. It's, it's starting to look like, I guess there's a lot of concern over the fact that it may be slipping away as the Phillies are coming up and they're just two games back and losing two out of three to the pirates. Of course, it's put a lot of Mets fans into kind of a panic, I will say, but Dylan, I'm going to go to you, our Mets fan here. What is your level of worry with this team after this weekend? Well, if this was just any other season, I would be really concerned. Um, But just with, with the way that, the Mets have used uh, half a hundred guys to come to a first place uh, spot in the division and continue to have that in what has been an almost a nightmare of a year at times for them. Uh, my, my level of concern drops, but it's still there. It's absolutely still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's just really interesting is uh, the, the earth has almost turned upside down to help the Mets get a National League East title, and they still don't seem to <laughs> be running away to. with it, which is yeah. which would be frustrating if you're a fan. Um, you know, what it comes down to is they continue to have injuries. You know, now with Lindor going to the IL this week, every member of the opening day lineup has spent some time on the injured list to, uh this season, you know, Jacob deGrom put on the 10 day IL himself. So those continue to be frustrating, but there's still a lot of season to be played. You know, the Mets are very clearly not sellers at this point, you know, they're two games above in first place, you know, in another division, perhaps they are sellers, but they're just not in this division and that's fine. So if you're the Mets, you gotta, you gotta ride out this next maybe week and a half that you might be without deGrom. It's probably going to be longer with Lindor. Um, but there's still plenty of time to maintain a lead in the division, perhaps start to run away with things come mid-August. Dylan, correct me if, if this is off base, but don't you feel like that Pirates win is kind of like the perfect metaphor for how this Mets season has gone? You know, was nope. it pretty? Absolutely not. Not pretty at all. But, you know, when everything falls apart, you know, injuries, that first inning – you still find a way to win. And, you know, somehow the Mets are still a first place team. And I think the Phillies start, you know, I think they're starting to knock on the door, but Mets are still in first place. So, you know, it's just been crazy to me to see all these injuries happen and the Mets still find a way to win. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest takeaways from this weekend are more, you know, obviously losing two out of three to the pirates is bad. It's not good. And I'm not trying to overlook that, but the injuries do concern me. That That's the big concern because for me, it's taking DeGrom, who's your leader on the field. He's obviously your best player. He's the best pitcher in baseball. Um, and he's been dominant all year. He's, he's essential for this team going anywhere. And that's very obvious saying that. But you take him. He's the leader in terms of performance on the field. And then you also take away Lindor, who is the leader, I would say, in the clubhouse, probably, with with what he's provided to the team. I know his offensive numbers have been down, but I don't want to hear anyone say he's not important to this team because he definitely is. He's, he's great defensively, and he's just a really important leader in the clubhouse, which I think the Mets are going to be really missing, and who knows how long he's going to be out for. It's kind of indefinite. 
I think DeGrom with the forearm tightness, I'm, I'm sure he will come back and pitch. I don't think that'll, I think it's just unfortunately yet another injury for him, but I think that's not going to be as serious for Lindor. It's a little bit more questionable. Who knows how long that's going to be. So those are two really negatives in terms of the product on the field. That Sunday win, I think, is gigantic. The fact that they're able to come back down six runs, it just shows that this Mets team, no matter what, I know it's the, I know it's the Pirates, but they fight. That's all they do. They continue fighting. They continue playing hard. That's what, that's what manager Luis Rojas kind of preaches to his guys, to continue to fight, to continue to, to play good baseball, even when they're down six to nothing in the first inning after losing two games to the Pirates. I mean, that is really tough to overcome. And the fact that the Mets were able to kind of claw back in the game, find a way to get back. Conforto with the home run there to win it, I think is huge for him because he's been struggling. So maybe that's a little boat of confidence for him going forward. McNeil has started to hit a lot better as well. And then having Nimmo back, we talked about how important that was. So I I think there's some good takeaways. I mean, to be honest, even though they lost two out of three, the offense definitely produced um, both on Sunday and Saturday, um, which is a pleasant surprise. It's nice to see, not something you normally see. Um, and then the bullpen collapse on Saturday is kind of, is definitely out of character for both Seth Lugo and Edwin Diaz. They haven't, they've been great all year. So that seems more like a fluke than it does some serious problem going forward. So I'm a lot more optimistic than I guess most Mets fans have been seeing that to me, I guess this series going into it and, and it started Friday night it just seemed like this was the perfect storm for the Mets to just have a terrible weekend. I don't know. It just seemed like that was like coming out of the break. You're in first place. You're playing the pirates. You should sweep them or at least take two out of three losing that first game, or at least early on in the game, it just felt like this is not going to be good. This is not going to be a good weekend. So if it's just a fluke, if it's a bad weekend, you can forget about it. That's the beauty of baseball. You can play because they're playing again tonight, Monday night. And, uh, over the course of the week. And they've got a big series against the blue Jays coming up as well, who are a hot team. Um, so I'm not as pessimistic as most, uh, but I, I also, I'm not, you know, I'm not a Mets fan. So I have a little bit of a more, I guess, objective perspective. My, my emotion isn't in it as much as Dylan's is maybe. Well, I, I you know, you have been following this team pretty closely. This yes. Year. You're, yes. You're, you're probably rather emotionally invested. Yes. Yes, I am. That's true. I can't say I'm uh, yes. Yeah, you're right. I, I, deep down, you know, you know where my heart is uh, rooting, obviously. So. Well, you know, it's interesting that you talk about this weekend being just like the, just a recipe for disaster. And it came true. Mets fans might start calling it the curse of Gary Thorne, but that's <laughs> what it's going to end up being. But you know, it's interesting. It's something worth saying about, you know, the Mets playing a team like the Pirates is, you know, they do have their worst games against the worst teams. You know, I, you know, you look at the Dodgers still have to come into Queens and the Giants still have to come into Queens. And those are a series that you're, you're going to worry about because those are going to be tough. Yeah. Um, but for, in some ways, at least on, on speaking from my own experience, I worry more about a series against the Pirates than I do against the yeah team like the Dodgers or the Padres. That's funny that you say that because like earlier in the year they played the Padres and they they handled business with them. They played pretty well both in San Diego and then at home. And then the yeah. Cubs who were playing really well at the time, right around then too, they they handled them as well. That's interesting. I, I saw I, I saw a tweet that said like um, because the Padres 
lost more games than they won against the Mets, they must be terrible, just like everyone sees the Mets who lost more games than they won against the Pirates. So that just shows how baseball, it's like, it's such a long season. You can't overreact from one weekend. It's, it's, it's just too much to ask, especially when the team's still in first place. Yeah. And even the series against Milwaukee too. They yeah. just, you know, they, they, they fight really hard against the teams they should be fighting really hard with because they treat those series like playoff series. Um, but, you know, as you mentioned, this weekend was just bound to be bad. And it was. And, you know, that's just going to happen. You're going to have you're going to have those uh, weekends. Um, it's just for the Mets. They happen at the most unfortuitous times to the point where they can build the way we view the team and the outlook of the season. Uh, and that happens to all teams. But it just so happened to happen to the Mets this weekend. But. You know, it, there is there there is of course reason to have concern. You know, uh, an outing like that from Diaz, like we saw on Saturday, is never a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I would argue most of the New York media and fans, in particular, uh, are very quick to um, to get uh, to write off Diaz whenever he has a bad game, and forgetting to realize that before that he had a literal zero ERA in save situations. And this is bound to happen. This is bound to happen. Roldis Chapman's an all-star. So um, <laughs> that's all you need to say. That that's exactly. it, right? There. Well, that's the it's the very Giants for seven and seven and won the Super Bowl uh, argument of baseball. <laughs> Roldis Chapman's an all-star. But you know, you know what it comes down to is it, it, this is bound to happen, and this is something we have been trying to say. It seems you and I for months now, and People were still not prepared for it. There's going to be a rough patch in this season. It happens to it happens to the best of teams. The best of teams lose 60 games. So it's just something that you're going to have to deal with. It's tough. It's tough to see, especially when things already have not been going well this year for the Mets in terms of what they're trying to put on the field. You know, a team of this level of talent should be running away with the division at this point, but they're not. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, for the Mets, you're just going to have to deal with that. But, Jack, I don't know about you. I have all the confidence things are going to be just fine for them. Well, not to pile on too much, but just how, how concerned are you guys that this DeGrom, you know, he's bit by the injury bug again. And for the first time, he says it's not related to the swing. And I know there's no structural damage, but, you know, you're dealing with a little forearm tightness. Is that at all concerning to you guys? It, it can't not be. I mean, it's Jacob deGrom, so it's always there's always a certain level of concern. But I don't know. I just it's it's so difficult because this is like giving the, the Mets fans heart attacks every time he he says, you know, a different part of his body seems to be injured. And it seemed like like we like you talked about with the swing, it seems like they had identified what was wrong with him and what not to do in the future. So if he if he hurts himself swinging, no matter how good of a hitter he is. Don't swing, drop a bunt down every time, or literally just take three strikes. If that's what you have to do to be the best pitcher on the planet, I think the Mets will take that any day of the week. But with this injury, do not due to the swinging. That's a little bit more concerning, especially because there's no exact timetable yet. They kind of just take it day to day. So that's a little concerning. But the fact that it is just forearm tightness, uh, if, if that's, that's what they're calling it, so we have to trust that's just what it is then when you hear that, it's like, that doesn't sound too serious. So you, so you kind of have to measure that with the fact that it's Jacob deGrom. So yes, you're concerned, but the injury itself is, is, does not seem to be severe at all. 
the fact that the greatest pitcher in the world uh, was facing injuries because he was swinging the bat too hard. Uh, just for one thing, that just goes to show how incredible of a competitor he is. So credit to him in that respect. But the fact that this is, you know, you might call it the first injury of the year that has nothing to do with swinging the bat. It almost makes me feel better. Um, and and I'll, I'll explain that by saying this. I'll, I'll explain that by saying this. We, we all had suspicion that the injuries that have happened previous to this, all these different areas of tightness and, and different things had something to do with the bat. Now we have confirmation that like, those were, this isn't. And it's just a 10-day IL stint. It's retroactive for a couple of days ago. So you might only miss like a, a start, maybe two. You know, but in, even in the best of pitching seasons, a starter is bound to miss a game or two. And that's fine. So, you know, t- to me, this is kind of the, the thing that's bound to happen in every great pitching season. You're going to have 10 days where you're not feeling great. And that's fine. And I'm, and I'm, I think it's the right thing for the Mets to be, um, taking as sensitive of a time with him and making sure things are okay. Um, and, you know, you might argue that they have been ultra sensitive with him all throughout the season, even after when it was just an injury swing in the bat. But I think that's the right move with um, with a guy like Jacob who throws that hard and, and you want to be able to protect. But, you know, to me, I know this, I know it's an odd answer, but uh, my level of concern with with that is is not high. If there continues to be problems after this, when he stops swinging the when he stops swinging the bat, and he comes back after a ten day stint of forearm tightness, um, then I think you start to really raise your eyebrows. But now, I'm not too concerned, honestly. Yeah, and just kind of that mounted with the the Lindor injury that you know might seem to be a little bit more serious. It just makes me wonder if this kind of forces the Mets hand to be a little bit more serious buyers at the deadline. And I understand you're not as concerned about that DeGrom injury, but you know, I feel like the, the offense is, is definitely an, uh, an area to be addressed and you know, what better way to do that than through the, the deadline. Yeah, no, that I totally agree with you, Jack. I, I think these two recent injuries just kind of, and maybe this series will be, a, a good thing in, in the, in the fact that they'll use it to really motivate their interests at the deadline. And I know the deadline's, you know, a week or so away, but the fact that, yeah, the, the lineup has even now where it's, I mean, Lindor goes down, but for the most part, it's healthy um, is producing better, but you still have concerns over it for sure. And then the back end of the rotation and, and the rotation depth is something that you need to address too. So I think for a deadline piece, you, you go after maybe something in the back end of the rotation over uh, an offensive bat. But I mean, if you're the Mets, you can't complain about getting, you know, a guy like Chris Bryant or something like that, where who could really help your offense. So either way they go, I think they'll be in good shape. But for me, I, I, I would like to go towards that rotation depth just because that's been a problem for the past, I would say a couple months here. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because I think we were all very concerned uh, at the beginning of the year and have continued to throughout the years. You know, the kind of the outlook was that there are there are three quality starters, all of whom we all thought uh, deserved some kind of spot in the All-Star game and DeGrom and, of course, Taiwan Walker and Marcus Stroman as well. And then you have guys who come through in that other spot, uh, in that fourth spot, whether that be David Peterson for a period of time, Joey Lucchese for a period of time, Tyler McGill is kind of filling that spot right now. And then that fifth 
and then the hypothetical fifth game is a bullpen day. Uh, and we were all really concerned about that for the obvious reason of that puts such a strain on the bullpen on days when you really need them, when let's say the starter isn't going to go very far, or you do need those three outs in the ninth inning. Um, fortunately for the Mets' sake, if they have proven, proven anything, it's that that might not be as big of a problem as we thought it was, uh, because they have continued to uh, produce those bullpen games and um, have not put too much of a strain on the bullpen. Uh, so quite honestly, what I think is they should just have one extra guy in that bullpen to get things through. Um, I'm, I'm not sure who the best option would be around baseball, um, but personally, I think I think the starting rotation is going to end up just fine because you got, um, without DeGrom, you got three guys right now. Um and then, you know, we've talked about Cookie Carrasco coming back at some point, which hopefully is going to be uh, in the next two or three weeks, perhaps. Jacob deGrom being the greatest September call-up that baseball has ever seen. <laughs> when the rosters expand to 40 and he comes back up into the big leagues. Uh, so we will perhaps see that as well. I, th- I personally think offense is the biggest problem of this team. That's the thing you need to address. Does it mean Chris Bryant at this point? I'm not sure the Mets have talked about getting Chris Bryant for, it feels like a year and a half now. At this point, I just have no faith that it's actually going to happen. (laughs) So uh, uh, I don't know who the best option would be, but there are certainly options out there, probably a third baseman if that's possible, but I don't know who else would uh, fill that spot other than Bryant. We've talked um, plenty about the deadline from the New York perspective, but now we're going to just kind of broaden it out to general baseball perspective here. The July 31st trade deadline, of course, it's approaching. um, And we thought we would take a look at one team who we think should buy at the deadline and then one one team who we think should sell at the deadline. And a lot is going to change in the next week or so. So this is kind of difficult to look at right now, but we're going to, put on our, our GM hat here. Um, and Dylan, I'll start with you here. Give me a team that you think should buy and then another team that you think should sell uh, in the upcoming deadline. Well, uh, truly, I did not understand the assignment at all. I, <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, no, no. I mean, in the very Dylan way, I am just to, was not able to pick a, one particular team, oh, okay. specifically that's when fine. talking that's about fine. selling. Okay. Uh, in, in terms of buying um, – I honestly take the Phillies as a team that I think should buy right now. I think they have a lot of uplook. I've been saying this all year because, you know, the NL East race started in May. And, you know, here in the New York area, we were talking about the Mets. And, of course, everyone had the Braves um, as a leader in that division. And people would mention the Nationals because they got so much talent. And I would keep saying, do not count out the Phillies. They are a good team. And uh, I think people just rolled their eyes at me. But I think that's just because it was me. But the Phillies, maybe it was the way you said it instead of the yeah the probably not as much what I was saying but the Phillies continue to prove they're a team to be reckoned with even through injury well just like the Mets just like everyone else in the National League East they have continued to push through and I think they're a team that can really um as this wild card race heats up the, the wild card spot's not going to go to an NL East team but they could fight the Mets here for that division spot so uh if I'm if I'm picking a team to buy it's the Phillies. Now, in terms of, of selling, there's a, there's a whole bunch of teams that I think should sell at this point. Uh, one, obviously, you take the team, the only team that is at an even 500 coming in July 19th, that's the LA Angels. Um, I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying get rid of Otani or Trout, but it, this is not the year 
And while you have those guys in their primes, which, you know, you'll have them for a while, but that, that, that sweet ripe spot to get them to win uh, the world series and really compete for a good amount of years. uh, You got to make those moves now. So if I'm the angels, I'm, I'm starting to get ready for 2022. uh, And with that also 2023, 2024 and 2025 and so on and so forth or so fifth, if you like to think like that Um, in term in the national league, um, I, I, I honestly think the Nats, uh, need to clean house a little bit. Uh, I just, I don't think they're going to be able to compete in this division. I don't think they have a longevity to right now, despite the talent that they have. So I think what they need to do is, uh, you know, they got their world series out of this team in 2019. I think they're going to need to clean house and, and, and try and start things over again. Cause I just don't think the way this team is built right now is going to continue to win. That being said, there was another team in the NL I, I want to talk about, I guess, really my main answer. Uh, is is the Cardinals? Uh, they got a lot of talent on their team too, and I know they've they've parted ways with um, with guys in in past years, and they have a lot of guys right now. I'm not saying trade Arenado. It's the same. It, it's the same thing as as with uh, as with the Angels. I'm not saying trade Arenado or Goldsmith, um, but you got to build guys around them, and I I don't think what they have right now is going to be able to do that. So um, my my. Buying team is the Phillies, and my seller team is Angels slash Nationals slash Cardinals. I was going to say Phillies, but let, let me give you a different answer. For I, I don't know if this team will buy. I hope they do, but this is definitely a team that should buy, and that's the Oakland A's. You know, you're 11 games over 500. You lost Marcus Simeon in the offseason. This is the time to get the replacement. His name's Trevor Story. He's going to be dealt somewhere. At least I really hope he does because he deserves to be uh, on a team that's really going to, I don't know. He's one of the best shortstops in the league. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Um, If they don't make a move on a guy like him, I hope they pick up a one-year rental. Uh, Nelson Cruz is definitely a guy I'd love to see on the Oakland A's. And, you know, I'm going to stay with Nelson Cruz. And I'm going to say that the Twins are a team that should be a seller. Uh, Nelson Cruz got one year left, so he's going to be dealt somewhere. Uh, you know, is Donaldson going to be shipped off somewhere? I don't know. Are, are people going to be willing to take on that contract? Um, but but I, I wonder if Byron Buxton is going to be sent somewhere, which makes me so upset, but he's a good player. He's a really good player. And I don't know if the twins are going to lock him up long-term. So you know, I hope he could, uh, you know, make his way onto a contender somehow. Before, before I get into mine, oh, Dylan, go ahead. Sorry. But no, I just wanted to say, uh, thinking about Nelson Cruz hitting at the Oakland Coliseum, is, yeah. he, he might be the only guy who can consistently hit home runs in that big yeah. ballpark. So that'd be cool to see. I like that. That guy can hit consistently hit home runs anywhere and at any age. He's like yeah. in his forties and he's still an <laughs> unbelievable hitter. So that that's yeah. a great pick there. And Dylan, I wanted to go back to you because. The Angels and Cardinals, I think, are both in very similar situations because they're kind of like in between. And and a lot of teams are like that, which is tricky because you can play it like you're in between, meaning you can just kind of sit back and not make any really major splashes, which obviously plenty of teams do because not every team is going to go out and get that big guy or that big player um, in the market. But or you can decide we're really going to commit to one way or the other. And I think with the Angels, it's a good idea because 
their, their starting pitching isn't great. I really don't see them as a team that can really make a run this year, although they're just like floating right around 500. Although they do have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, I don't really see them as a team that can really make a run. So that's a good choice there. And they, they can play towards the future. And the Cardinals is kind of similar as well with the Brewers in the division there. So those are a, a, a spot a lot of teams are in, which is a very tricky situation in, in determining what to do. And who knows, maybe the next week or so might decide for those teams. If they did start to win, you know, five, six games in a row, or they win a couple of series in a row, all of a sudden they might switch their philosophy and their plan. That's why this time is so interesting. But now to my picks here, um, I'm going to start with the buyer and like you, Dylan, I couldn't really pick one. So I guess I uh, also didn't really listen to the assignment, but I look at the NL West here um, and I look at a very tight divisional race. You have the Giants in first who have a lot of people thought overperformed this year, but it seems like they're, they're here to stay. I mean, their record is, I think, one of the best in baseball, if not the best. And then you have the Dodgers right behind them. And then you have the Padres who are a little bit off, but still definitely obviously have the talent to make a run. So those three teams, I think all of them can definitely add at the deadline. Um, the Giants need starting pitching. The Dodgers honestly need starting pitching because Kershaw is hurt and then Trevor Bauer also being away from the team. Um, and then the Padres last year, their GM, A.J. Preller, uh, made six trades in three days before the deadline. So he's a guy that is not afraid to go out and get pieces. So I think the Padres certainly could add either offensively or even a bullpen arm or, or another starting pitcher as well. So I think whoever really adds in out of those three teams that could be the difference in this division just because of how close it is so that's something interesting to look out for in the next week or so Uh, and then for selling um we talked about him a little bit uh kyle gibson i think the rangers are a team that that is a big seller a team that has a lot of pieces to offer that i think kind of flies under the radar at least kyle gibson does because jose barrios from the twins um you know, like you mentioned, Jack, talking about the Twins, that's kind of the guy for starting pitching. But a lot of teams need starting pitching at this deadline. So um, Kyle Gibson is a great piece. And he doesn't quite fit into the Rangers in their long-term plans. He's, he's older. He's in his 30s. So they don't really, he doesn't really fit in like a rebuilding Rangers team. So Kyle Gibson is a piece I think could definitely go somewhere and really help out um, a contender here. And then there's also uh, Ian Kennedy, who's uh, uh, a closer actually for um, the Rangers. He's 16 of 16 in save opportunities. Another guy in his 30s, but a veteran guy that could really help in the clubhouse, has that experience. So a guy like him could definitely help out a contending team as well. And then Joey Gallo is a guy that's name has been tossed around. He's been tossed around with the New York Yankees. He kind of seems to fit into the short porch and right field hitting absolute bombs and Yankee Stadium, I could definitely see that as a good fit, kind of like Nelson Cruz in, in Oakland. Um, so I think the Rangers are, are a big a big seller. They're not a great team this year. They're definitely rebuilding. So they're a team that kind of flies under the radar, though. I just – I love talking trade deadline stuff because it's so un, uncertain. You never know what's going to happen, and that's why it's so fun. But we'll be here to break it all down, of course, next week's edition, and then the one following, which will be after the trade deadline, where we can talk about all the moves – as they happen. So uh, cannot wait for that deadline. And uh, as much as I love talking trade deadline stuff, the only thing I like talking more about is just talking baseball with you guys, with you, Dylan and, and Jack Roach. I had to just throw in some, some nice sweet compliment there <laughs> to my, to my two co-hosts before we get going here. So thank you so much, Dylan Balsamo, Jack Roach. I'm Sam Davis. Thanks for listening to Nosebleeds. 
WFUV's baseball podcast. See you next week.